Oh, by the way, did you guys? Uh, I have got a recording of a uh, somebody talking in tongues. Seriously? Are you yeah, serious? Yeah. Oh, let's bring that up. You want to, you can, know, can I just inform you all? I used to speak in tongues oh, really? all the time. Did you sound like this? Why am I thinking I am of Ali McBeal? God awful movies, and I took a left oh. at the valley. <laughs> I know we shouldn't have to scream that we're atheists. You know, we don't have non astrologers and all that. But with religious people taking over the world, I mean, we can either speak up or be pushed into a corner. I'm proud to be an atheist, a skeptic, a non-believer, an infidel, a heathen. I call it how I see it. I say it's ignorance and you just call it faith and unsubstantiated claims. That's something to be ashamed. I'm an atheist. Coming at you from ah. <laughs> Evil Air Canada. This is Lifton Valley. My name is Kevin, and I ask you, is it possible to be totally partial? Joining me as usual is the team that realizes that everyone has a photographic memory. Some just don't have any film. She wonders. <laughs> she <laughs> I killed myself with this. She was in a speed reading accident. She hit a bookmark, Nancy. Does having a Polaroid camera count if you don't have film, but it's Polaroid from the classic. I'm vintage. Yeah, I'm vintage absolutely. film. It'll work. <laughs> and he wonders if, when asked for ID, does the Queen just whip out a 20? Scott. <laughs> oh, that's bad. <laughs> and she woke up this morning and all her stuff had been stolen and replaced with exact duplicates. Christina. The gremlins did it. <laughs> Guys, welcome back. Hope you had a good week. Bacon and eggs infused coffee. Oh, what? It's an invention the, I'm thinking of. The audience has no idea what you're talking about. Thank you for crashing the show right off the bat. Thank you. We're so professional. Somebody has to do it. <laughs> I, I would just take the maple coffee without the eggs. Uh, so today we're going to do a very interesting show. We are, we're going to play an interview we had earlier this week with my main man, Peter Bogosian. Oh, my Ooh. main man too. Yeah, we were <laughs> supposed to do a show with Dan Barker, but Dan unfortunately had something come up, so we're, we should be playing him next week. So, it should well, be that'll, fun. That'll, that'll be okay. Yeah, that'll I be okay. I mean, as long as it's sometime, as long as it's, he, you know, we, we're never going to have him, that's okay. <laughs> yeah, we'll anticipate We'll have him, we'll have him. <laughs> Yeah, we'll have him. We'll have him. Uh, <laughs> he, and he will know he's been had. <laughs> <laughs> nice one. <laughs> Ring the bell for that. So uh, instead of doing our, our usual, the, you know, this day in history or quack watch or, uh, you know, another brilliant moment, we're going to skip all that today because we have a very long interview with Peter Bogosian and we're going to play most of that. Um, and it, we're talking about uh, the feasibility. And, you know, that's going to be very important for you guys to pay attention to this because, you know, uh, Peter's doing his very best to explain to people how we should be a bit more self-criticizing of our beliefs. Well, he is the guru of critical thinking. Oh, yes. So and I, I love Peter. Peter's oh, so fantastic. The, the best. Awesome. I, know, yeah. I know he's been taking a lot of flack here and there about some of the things he's been saying. But you know what? That's, that's what a philosopher is supposed to do. Kind of create a countercurrent and see what, where things are and where they're not. But first, a little bit of chit-chat. Okay, Scott, I know you're going to want to talk about this. Omar Carter. This is the uh, young man that was a, uh, around the age of 15 in the uh, Afghan war. Was it Afga Afghanistan, right? Yeah, it was Afghanistan. Yeah, and he was accused by the U.S. of throwing a grenade and killing a U.S. medic at the age of 15. Then he was sent to Guantanamo Bay. He spent years there. 
So anyway, um, he came back and the uh, Canadian Supreme Court um, ruled that his rights were, had been violated. Now he's been um, compensated to the tune of $10.5 million. Now, okay, well, what do you say about this? Okay, some people think he's a traitor. Uh, some people think that he's a victim. Uh, some people are angry that he got $10.5 million. I think he's both. A traitor and a victim. Mm -hmm. And I think the Supreme Court was right to rule the way they did. I and think so, too. I think the government was right to issue an apology. However, $10.5 million is just silly. Um, well, this is obviously something that lawyers... Between yeah, the, the lawyers, lawyers, the lawyers have done lawyers. this. What, what they should have done was given him uh, free education. They took his childhood away. That, that is a great idea. That, is that great came idea. From, uh, from an instructor where I work, uh, one of our instructors there. Mm -hmm. And uh, they oh. should have given him the ability to go to university at government cost and learn a, learn a, a trade or a, a, a profession. Something that he right. was interested in. Yeah, yeah, but yeah, it's not his like choice. Right? He's Omar Khan. He's, he's it's not like he can just walk into any university and take a seat. With the apology that came from the government, that legitimacy uh, gives him some legitimacy. I, and, I, I, and I totally should, agree. I totally agree. But you we know can't full hold well. it against. Yeah, but you can't hold it against him forever. No, but I do. I, do I hate him for what he did? Yes, I do. But. You can't keep holding that against him. But he found that he was he was legally stopped on. Don't you remember high school? I mean, half a rumor started and you were hated. So yeah. imagine, imagine oh, yeah. a guy who's you know branded as a terrorist you know, or something like that. I mean, this guy would never would never be able to study in peace at a high well, school. I, I guess. Well, no, and that's uh, true. Well, I, I guess university. it's time for the rest of us to grow up a bit, though. It's time to move on. This mm -hmm. this gentleman has been vindicated by the government uh, by in the that, Supreme Court in that he was in that he was mistreated. Yes. And it's time to move on from that. He served his time for well, the crimes he was con supposedly convicted of. Mm -hmm. um, it's time to move on now. It's time to allow him to move on. Yeah, I Well, I haven't been following this as closely as you have, but was his age a critical factor in, well, in his experiences and his upbringing and his age? He really wasn't at the point you would think of being able to make uh, uh, independent decisions or good moral and that, decisions. And was that is that part of a it? major part of the argument yes. from from people is that he was taken by his father at a young age. The age of nine, actually. Yeah. Well, was, if you read into his history, even before that, um, he was following his father to these far-flung countries like Pakistan and... Uh, of course, we was Arab, kind of taught. Arab, Arab, yeah, and, and, and he, was, he was indoctrinated. Yeah, totally. And at the age of 15, he was in one of the terrorist camps. In, in this village, yeah. whatever it was. Um, whether or not he actually committed the crime he committed, it's We'll irrelevant. never truly know. Yeah, we'll never know. Um, also, there's something Also, that being sent to Guantanamo Bay as a 15-year-old child, uh, anyone being sent to Guantanamo Bay is, is a war crime, in my opinion, that the United States will never be taken to task on. Because they were outside of the law. They were outside of every aspect of, of any law that could be created or, or And that's enforced. what the Supreme Court is arguing. is arguing that the Canadian government should have interfered and say, listen, you just can't take one of our citizens and just lock them up willy-nilly. Uh, and there's a few questions I'd like to research a bit more into this. What happened to his dad? I'd be curious about that. I think his father was killed. Okay. Um, there's something about, uh, disturbing about Omar Carter as well. Is he never really renounced... Islam, I wouldn't say he uh, he never uh, he never really he kept he kept you know seek, uh, silent about all this, you know he never really so we never really know. I 
I don't think I have a problem with his religious choice. I do have a problem with him not... Has he ever actually defined himself as a Canadian? Other than for the legal purpose of suing the government of Canada. I don't know. Has he ever, you know, um, come forward and said, I I love this country? Not that we've given him much to love here. Yeah, exactly. Well, it seems, again, from, from a... Just a, from the aspect of the, from the outside and not not knowing, and it seems as though you, there is a, an extremely damaged and compromised individual. You know, they they always say, "Give me a child of yes. the age of seven, and he's ours." And this may have may be a, a sterling example mm-hmm. of that that he was not really exposed to anything other than what he was told, and so his worldview was that narrow and then going to prison hard hard to know it's a complicated case but yeah, a good case i think because I, I have a feeling we're going to see more well, you know the, as uh, if there's any consolation the wars go on in the middle east if there's any consolation it was 10.5 million canadians well that's about worth like 2 million us i guess <laughs> <laughs> uh, also a, the question is is his case going to open the door for other types of uh, situations. I'm thinking, for example, Mark Emery. Remember when Mark Emery was actually yeah. taken from this country and put into a U.S. prison? Yeah, I didn't agree with that either. I didn't agree with that either. But no. does, does that open the door for a guy like Mark Emery to sue the government as well? I, so it's a good wow. question. Good question. We'll find out. In other news, this is how stupid the world has become. Did you guys hear about NASA having to deny having child slaves on Mars? What? Alex oh. Jones. Oh, okay. You know that, that bastion that, of information? That clears up everything. <laughs> I, I listened to him, and I totally believe it. Oh, I <laughs> I grew up listening to Alex Jones. Oh, you poor soul. I know. You made it all the way there. I, I'm surprised I'm still alive. <laughs> well, he had, a, he had this guest on, on his show, Infowars, called Robert David Steele. And Robert says, basically, that NASA has a tendency to kidnap kids and they send them on a 20-year ride to Mars in a space, and then they have no choice but to stay there as slaves. And this is the power of this guy, right, Alex Jones. Now NASA had to come out and deny this stupid, stupid conspiracy theory. But did they give Alex Jones a ticket to Mars so that he could find out for himself? Yeah, he totally should. That would have been that would have been the logical. I, I think NASA would have been better off not to deny it, but to actually embrace it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, little Timmy's up there, <laughs> way back. Yeah. <laughs> but the, the the thing that's scary about this is, five years ago, two years ago, not even a couple months ago, really, Infowars was a crackpot thing, but yeah. now they're actually part of the press in the Trump administration, oh, right? So, <laughs> exactly. Talk about fake news and we, stupidity. I mean, it's, we've gone, the United States has gone from a democracy to the twilight zone. Oh, it's the, the, minute, the minute Trump put his hand up and said, <laughs> I do, that was, the, it, we don't. Yeah. It, it's, it's just awful. So we'll keep an eye on that. Oh, here's an, uh, an interesting story. Did you guys hear that scientists have uncovered some of the secrets to Roman concrete? Now, do you guys ever wonder why, you know, our bridges, made of concrete or whatever we have, will last 50, maybe 100 years tops, while the Roman concrete is sturdier, lasts longer, and more environmentally friendly? When the Romans' empire crumbled, the secrets to their concrete kind of disappeared with that. Uh, the secret, the, the recipe was lost to time. Uh, we know that there is lime, volcanic ash, and seawater in Roman concrete. Mineralogists have revealed that there is also a luminous, Tober, wow, I'm going to mask this. Tober more right in the concrete. 
but they still don't understand how it was done at a room temperature because that usually is a process that happens at very, very hot temperatures. And of course, the Romans didn't have that technology to make it happen. So this is the same kind of mineral that is seen in volcanic rock. So the civilization crumbled, but the concrete didn't. That's is right. that a good outcome? Well, you know, the <laughs> Roman aqueducts, the Colosseum and all that, it's all still still standing. Yeah, none of our stuff would be standing after exactly. 2,000 exactly. years. Exactly, despite that's... our much more advanced technology. So that's an interesting story. Did you guys hear here in Canada, there's a baby that has been issued a health card without a gender? I did hear about that. Yes. It's been marked, instead of sex, male or female, M or F, it was marked U for unassigned. Because apparently the uh, usual inspection cannot determine the gender of the child. You know, uh, you actually can't determine if the genitalia of the child. So they've actually issued a U until the child is old enough to express either male or female side to his or her sexuality. Um, so That's just strange. I, I'm, I have a question. Mm. On, this, uh, on the birth certificate... Is it gender or sex that it's supposed to indicate? Oh, that's a good question. Sex. Yeah, it would be sex. So, in that situation, because sex, your sex does refer directly to your genitalia. Yes. Doesn't that then kind of mix up the point that this yeah, parent was it does. going that's for? Why, that's why it doesn't make sense to me either. Because if the parent is trying to raise their child not gender stereotype and not be like, you have to express yourself as a male or female until you decide, mm-hmm. isn't that different than the medical knowledge that is needed on your birth certificate? This this person's not a eunuch. They were, uh, they no, were born with one set of genitalia know, or the other. The, the geni- Unless they were one of the people born with both, which really gets confusing. you got, you got to remember how, how genitalia develops as, as, a, as, a, as a fetus, right? Yeah. We all, all kind of essentially kind of start female, essentially, yes, right? Yes, yeah. And, and then, but this, this baby born, you can't really determine if he... Well, like well, a better they, term, it... They? One, has once, a pair of testicles or a pair of ovaries. You can't really determine. Once babies are born, they're usually... Fully formed. Fully formed. Yeah, they're, they're genetically um, different enough that visually you can tell. Yeah, but this one isn't. Okay. Oh, that's why. Oh, wow. oh okay. In, this, in, oh, in that well, situation, I think that's fair. it's okay. Yeah, yeah that's why. They're, they're, that's just, they're just waiting for the, the child to keep developing eventually. and So they're just being, see they're what being the market cautious. Is. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, good good plan. So it would be interesting for the parents to give it a gender-neutral as long name. As, this doesn't, as long as this doesn't hurt the child later on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, 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 that's and, as, and as long as people hearing this don't think that, oh... But because there's two sides that people can look at this at there can be like one side that's like oh now we can we don't have to um have the sex of our child on our birth certificate no matter what mm-hmm. or you have the side of people who are like oh my gosh this person this parent's crazy and they just they're starting this slippery slope yeah. That's going to lead to this. Mm. Yeah, I have. There's I have valid read, medical reasons. Yeah, I've read stories, not very many of them, because there aren't that many people who were born that way. But I have read stories of children who were born where they have uh, perhaps a, 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 a tiny visible penis, but it's not. You know, it's not, not well me, developed enough yeah. to know, <laughs> and then the parents, and this is some time ago, the parents don't know what to do, the doctors don't know what yeah. to do, and in some cases, 
Um, and we're talking about rare, small, but in some cases they've made the wrong decision. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. And at that, that point that you have a child that, that does have gender difficulties because mm-hmm. now they've removed one or changed one. And generally, I guess they remove the penis because that's an easy. Yeah. And then the child's gender is that he, she feels as though, yeah. you know, she's more of a he mm-hmm. than than a she. I, I it's, guess, and I, I don't I don't think the medical community has really come to grips with how to handle so and the psychologists so exactly. So you're saying this, for, this for example this this child was born a male but they weren't sure and they kind of cut off his uh, Yeah, I guess part? they determined maybe that they're <laughs> <laughs> I guess they determined that the that the ovaries seem to be more dominant dominant than the yeah. than the tiny penis and or they I, removed the tiny penis but then the child began to think of as a male he, uh, think yeah. as a male. I mean it's yeah. extremely And and they understand the science of the the hormones and the and the body chemistry yeah. now. So I, I guess leaving the child with an unassigned gender is actually the best way to mm-hmm. go I about that. I would think that. so. Yeah. But difficult is growing up oh, because, yeah. well, you know. Eventually, eventually though, when, when the child hits puberty or around about that time, the child is going to start exhibiting the. Definite signs. <laughs> definite signs. But it's also, there's, there's also brain things going on too, right? Like, No, I've seen teenagers, they don't have a brain. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, to be fair, so then they could they could actually do. I mean, if it requires gender, because the body may go one way and the brain go the other way. Yeah, of course. And then you get gender reassignment surgery, or you know what I mean, like, Mm -hmm. or or maybe the kid's happy the way they are. It's all up to the to the person at that Mm -hmm. point. I mean, it could it it could be it could be a nightmare because depending on how the parents feel about this. And then in the U.S., you've got these bizarre uh, bathroom rules oh, now oh, as yeah. to, you know, what's on the birth certificate. Oh, yeah. Where does well, my, kid, child where does doesn't ha- my child is undetermined. <laughs> where is bathroom. it going to go? They just know? squat between the she. two. Yeah, between yeah. the two doors. Yeah. Let's take a dump in the hallway. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> I wonder if there's anybody we could get on the show that has more of a... I mean, it's, it's a fascinating... Discussion. Subject. I wonder yeah. if there's any if there's anybody out there like that a, has like information a, like or is in. an expert. Yeah. You know, please let us as know. A, as, a, as, a, as a guest, somebody who's transgender. Yeah, that, that would be, be cool. that, that would be, cool. be really cool. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, moving on to wonderful uh, Christian uh, love. Um, oh, did you guys, wonderful. you guys know Hobby Lobby? Yes, uh-huh. I've heard of it. Yeah. Did you guys hear that Hobby Lobby, which is the uh, the, the chain that managed to. Uh, uh, have uh, sway the Supreme Court their way into a decision that was uh, essentially allowing them to uh, deny uh, women services birth to, birth yes, yeah, birth control, control to women because it goes against their Christian values, right? Uh, in the States. Well, Hobby Lobby, you know, being that, that bastion of Christian love that they are, we're just fined three million dollars for smuggling ancient artifacts from Iraq. I heard about this. They, <laughs> Good on them. They, they they brought in thousands of clay tablets and little cylinder seals that were shipped through uh, the United Arab Emirates and uh, Israel, and they were just fined three million dollars. Of course, is a slap on the wrist. Did for you did like you that. hear how they were labeled to bring them into the country? No, they were labeled as tie like um. Like backsplash tile kind of things. Back, oh, really? <laughs> like, I don't know if it was specifically backsplash, but it was like accent tile. Oh, jeez. <laughs> uh, 
Wow. Just, it just shows that the, the the only true religion these people have is the religion of money. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Doesn't matter anything else. When I, I as you know, I lived in Dallas for in Texas for a long time. Get out of here. Yeah, I did. <laughs> we got pictures. And and I had a niece that loved to knit and crochet, and I did it at one time. And I have to I have to get this out of my. System true confession. Hobby Lobby was the best place to buy yarn. I wish I could take back every dollar that that <laughs> I spent at Hobby Lobby. But they, as a business, oh, yeah. they were a wonderful business. But unfortunately, it's the, we didn't understand you know, the corporation yeah, that that uh, was we, behind it at the time. Nancy, we forgive you. Thank you. I feel better now. It's a, it's a bit like that chain in the States. I've never been to one of them, but it's called Chick-fil-A. Mm-hmm. Ch- I was going to say, yeah. at Chick-fil-A, yeah. too. Apparently, the chicken is great at Chick-fil-A. The but, chicken is great, and the, the, the lemonades the lemonades were the best ever. Yeah. But there again, I guess, can, am I still absolved and forgiven? Yes, no, yes you are. As long as I never do it again. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> hey, let's finish on a positive note here. You guys remember Malala Yousafzai? Yes, I love her. Mm. Yeah, she's just she's nineteen and she just oh, wow. graduated what? high school. Good, Good for, for her. her. Congratulations! Yeah. Of course, the Nobel Peace Prize laureate. Uh, she uh, was shot October 9th, twenty twelve. That was five years ago. Wow! And uh, in Pakistan, and she won the Nobel in twenty fourteen. And now she just graduated high school, yeah. and uh, she's going to move on to and bigger. And she was shot things. in the head. I know. Yeah. <laughs> no, I, it's, and it's absolutely amazing. An amazing story, and we absolutely love her. And what a beautiful young woman she turned mm-hmm. out to be. I mean, the the courage, the bravery, the, the being so articulate, and being willing to give her life over, mm-hmm. you know, where, to where do something. Where is she living like right this. now? It's uh, a good question. I don't know. Because I'm like, let's give her a call. Yeah, because I'm like, is she still in her home country? I believe so. Yes. Oh, okay, because I wasn't because I know they had to take her out of the country for medical, like to. Yeah, yeah. Help I, her. I think I think she also studied in England at some point. Oh, too. Okay. So I'm not sure if she graduated in England or uh, I, I don't there, know. The article there, wasn't that there specific. There were many countries that would up, accept people. her if she wanted to go to them. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Nobody was going to deny her access uh, entry. Well, yeah. And, and it's fantastic that she's become such a symbol yeah, of you know this the scariest yeah. thing for a jihadist. Is a, a woman with an education. Mm-hmm. So that's fantastic. <laughs> Just a woman who's willing to stand up against them. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. All right, so let's take a quick pause. And uh, when we come back, we're going to play the interview we had with Peter Bogosian on the feasibility. So stay with us. What is secular humanism? Critical thinking. Knowledge is freedom. Freedom from ignorance and its offspring, fear. The BC Humanist Association has been active in the Vancouver area for over 25 years. We offer a friendly and welcoming place to make new friends, as well as free educational lectures. We invite you to join us any Sunday at 10 a.m. in the Oak Ridge Senior Centre. Please visit our website for more details at bchumanist.ca. Interested in a particular topic? You ever wonder where we find all this information? The Common Sense Canadian is a forum for critical discussion of the key issues shaping our world today. Water, energy, food security, and how we manage our resources to the public benefit while preserving our environment. So go to commonsensecanadian.ca. It's uncommonly sensible. Hey, 
Hey, guess what, Nancy? We got our old friend Peter Bogosian. Must be one of the bravest guys in atheism I know, and he is my main man. Pete, how are you doing, sir? I am excellent. Thank you so much for inviting me on to talk to you. Oh, about you have a standing that. invitation. Are you to kidding? Come whenever, you if, if I could kidnap you from Portland and bring you up here, I'd do it. <laughs> oh, you guys are nice. <laughs> I appreciate that. I really do. That's very kind. Peter, uh, Peter, you're you're well known for some of the uh, audience here at uh, Left of the Valley. Um, some of our uh, newer audience might not know exactly who you are. Would you be so kind to give us a brief introduction? Uh, I'd be surprised if they didn't know you. But anyway, just in case, I just uh, I'm just a 50 year old guy. I just turned 50. About to turn 51. I teach critical thinking and moral reasoning, and I wrote a manual for creating atheists. I'm writing another book right now. And I wrote, did the Atheist app, directed, developed, produced it, and uh, that's pretty much it. That's nice in a nutshell. That's like that's like someone who who discovers another world comes on and say, "Well, that's pretty much it." Yes, pretty much it. Unless you're underselling yourself. Yeah, <laughs> nothing like a little humble. He's a, he's a humble man. He's a, a humble, humble man. man. <laughs> Peter, thank you for coming back to the valley with us. Uh, so I hear yet you're having uh, you kind of invited yourself on uh, on on another show called The Wizards of. Very bad wizards, yes. Very bad I wizards. In, invited myself on very bad wizards, he, and I did that because he has a, a PhD in philosophy, and I know his mom, Christine Hoff Summers, who's a good friend of mine. So I hopefully not inappropriately use that connection to invite myself on his show. But unfortunately, <laughs> he was out of the country, mm. and I wanted to do this I, very briefly before we. We'll dive right into it. But I wanted to do this because I'm about to do my book full time. And the, the subject that we're going to talk about today is what I've researched for many years. But specifically, really, I delved into it in the last year on my sabbatical. Well, then I asked Nigel Warburton, who's a famous philosopher, he knows all the philosophers. I said, look, uh, I emailed him. I said, I need to go on a show, a philosophy show to talk about defeasibility. And we'll talk about that in a minute. And I said, you know, who show, who can I talk to? And he didn't respond to me for whatever reason. And so then I told my colleague, I said, I need to go on a show, philosophy show, to talk about defeasibility. Who should I talk to? And he said, didn't you just get a grant for the public understanding of reason and rationality and critical thinking? And I said, yeah. He said, well, what do you, what do you, what do you hope to achieve by talking to philosophers? You should be talking to someone who doesn't have a PhD in philosophy, and your success should be measured on whether or not you can make those ideas accessible to people. And I thought, you know what, he's, he's absolutely right. So fortunately, I then got your email, which I appreciated, and then I sent you the two papers. I published one, and the other one is under review. And hopefully we can now, with that out of the way, we can now dive right in. And, and again, my goal is to make this crystal clear. It's a very complicated idea. Simple on, it's like chess, simple on the face of it, but super complicated when you dig down. So that's my goal. Okay, so you thought you'd start with the bottom of the barrel, call the people <laughs> that right. left in the valley first, right? And work your way up? <laughs> well, I, I, thought that I, I thought that I would start with people who were not professional philosophers. And, and the reason that I need to get this quote-unquote out of the way is because after this, it's just all book all the time. Mm. And the way my brain works is I just go from project to project to project. I n almost never go backward with my projects. I almost, I always have another thing in mind. Yeah. Okay. So let's get into it. Defeasibility. Okay, great. What are we talking about? Defeasibility. What does that mean to you? Okay. So defeasibility basically means if A 
then B, and less C. And C is the defeater. And we're going to talk about the defeater in a second. So defeasibility is, can you think of or can you imagine or can you conceptualize a way in which your belief could be false, could be wrong? Not that it is, but that it could. And so it was introduced by this guy with a kind of a cool name, H.L.A. Hart in 1949. And he talked a lot about defeating conditions, and he referred to those as the defeater. Mm -hmm. So again, I want to go back to that. If A, so if A, then B, unless C. If I go to the park, then it will rain, unless... If I I go to the park, it will rain, unless... The weather I changes. I, I, I take something from the refrigerator or something. If something happens, then something else happens, unless something else happens. If A, then B, unless C, with C being the defeater. And the whole idea for all of this is, are there conditions under which a belief could be false? Okay. How are we doing so far? Because I want to give you an example. Oh, yeah. So far, so good. So far, far, you're speaking English and we understand it. We're good. Okay. (laughs) Again, because I want this, the success or failure of this conversation to be whether or not you understand this. And that is a function of my explanation and not your intelligence. So, so please tell me it, stop me and, and tell me if any of this is unclear. Okay, well, like so, I said, I'm the dumbass on the show. If I can get it, the rest of the audience will get it. Awesome, awesome. <laughs> uh, that's a funny thing to say awesome to, but okay, awesome. So let, let's say that you and Nancy are driving down the street. And in my um, keynote for Reason Fest 2017, this is the example I used. Let's say that you're driving down the street, the two of you, and there's a truck in front of you and that truck says beer on it and you look and you see the driver and he has a beer uniform with a little beer cap you can put any beer you want Michelob or whatever what do you Canadians drink what do you what's, uh, we'll drink better uh, beer uh, that's all there is to it um, Canadian um, trying to think of a Canadian beer I'm drawing a blank Canadian? Molson Canadian Molson yeah. Molson okay, Molson. okay I used to drink yeah. something else as a kid I can't remember it's Canadian beer box. okay so Moosehead. So, you, so Nancy says, "Look at the beer truck," and you say, "Yeah, I see it." And she says, "That truck is filled with beer." Now, the traditional question that people ask, and it's a very good question, and I don't want my words to be misconstrued, in that I think people shouldn't ask this question. How do you know? Mm-hmm. That's the traditional question. We Well, how do you know? And then she'd present her evidence for why she thinks it's filled with beer, right? Beer inside. Uh, the uh, guy says beer on it. It's the middle of the day. All indications are that the truck's filled with beer. Mm-hmm. I think a better question is, well, how could your belief that that truck is filled with beer be incorrect? Okay, am I clear so far? Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay, so then Nancy has a number of options. She can say the following things to you. She can say, and again, these aren't in any particular order. This is just things she can say. She can say, well, it can be, my belief can be that that truck is filled with beer can be incorrect 
because maybe the driver, maybe she just dropped off beer and maybe she's on another route to pick up beer. So maybe it's the interim between it. That clear? Yep. yep. So the truck okay. could be empty. She can also say, Nancy can also say, well, maybe the the truck is coming back from the uh, repair factory mm-hmm. because the, I don't know, some kind of maintenance problem, right? And again, this isn't, she's not saying that it did come back from the maintenance factory or it was in the middle of a beer run. She's saying it could be. And that's how her belief could be wrong. Mm. Yes? Yes. Yes. Okay. Right. So those fall into the first category. The second category is my belief can't be wrong. Mm. Well, Nancy's can't be wrong. It says beer on it. It's just the way it is. It has beer in it. That's just... So whether she lacks the imagination or what have you, she can't think of a reason for how her belief could be wrong. That's the second category. Are are we cool? Yep. Uh Yeah, we are. Makes sense. Okay. The third category is she says, I don't know. I don't know how my belief could be wrong. I'm Mm. completely mystified. Maybe it is, maybe it isn't, but I I can't provide you. I don't know. I have no idea. Are we cool? Yep, Uh we're cool. Sorry to keep asking that, but it's just it, this gets very complicated very fast. The, the final way is Nancy could say, well, th- I could be mistaken about the belief that this truck is filled with beer because 20 minutes ago, aliens from Europa could have come down, kidnapped the drug, you know, the movie Invasion of the Body Snatchers from the <laughs> 80s, yeah. you know, snatched the body of the driver. And, f- and instead of beer, it's they, they fill the back of the truck with ray guns because they're planning an invasion. Are we cool? Yep. That- yep. Makes okay. sense. Now, that's absolutely, completely unrealistic. But it is she, she nevertheless was capable of articulating a way that her belief is incorrect. Mm-hmm. All right. So we now have four possibilities. Right, so any questions bef- bef- before I go on? So, so I guess uh, the, the, the number of possibilities will depend on the certainty the person has about their information. Yeah, so, so you could say, you could say, for example, well, how confident are you that that tr- mm. truck has beer in it? Yeah. And, and she could say anything from zero. And like if you said, well, what is it on a scale? Put it on a scale. From zero to 100. Zero is absolutely no possible way that truck has beer in it. 100 is, you know, I would literally bet my life. I am so positive that that truck, there's, it is as clear, it cannot be wrong. Mm. So most people would not say zero or 100. Maybe some would, but most people would fall. And, you know, most people probably say, I don't know, 50%, 75%. I'd probably say 70% if someone asked me. Yeah. Anything else before we take the next move no i i I think we're good we're still with you we're still with you we're with the basics this sounds realistic okay okay so plato and the theatetus and i sent you the those two papers one is available online i think it's behind a paywall and and the other one hopefully will be published but it's not published yet Mm -hmm. so plato in the theatetus talks about knowledge as being justified true belief justified true belief mm-hmm. so it has to you have to have a good reason for believing it that's justified yes true it has to be true and in fact it has to correspond to the actual state of affairs 
And belief, you have to believe it. Justified, true belief. So in when you teach philosophy classes, you really don't focus so much on the truth. It sounds silly, but it's true. And you don't really focus on the belief. You just assume people believe what they say they believe for the most part. You focus on the justification. Like what reasons, what evidence do you have? What reasons do you have for believing that? And remember my first question, the first statement I made was, most people will say, well, how do you know that? Mm-hmm. And, and I don't. I think that's a good question. In fact, I think it's a, it's a great question. But I think a, perhaps a better question is, how could that belief be wrong? Now, it seems to me, and this is part of the idea, that if, if you say, well, how could the belief be wrong if there's beer in that truck? And Nancy says to you, either I don't know, or I can't be wrong, then it seems to me she should assign a lower confidence value to the belief that there's beer in the truck, even if she could give a fantastical answer like aliens. Mm. So if she was to give a fantastical answer like aliens, you kind of call an ambulance, right? No, if she wants to give a fantastical answer like aliens, she is better off, she is more justified in the confidence that she has than if she says, I don't know, or if she says, I can't be wrong at all. Because a reason is provided whether it's fantastic or not. It shows a thought process. Yeah, so, so we, sh- we all need to be aware and conscious of the conditions under which our belief could be false. Remember the if A, then B, unless C thing? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. Yep. Well, there is beer in the truck unless there really is this alien invasion or unless it was coming back from the, the, uh, you know, mechanic, mechanic or the, what's the Firestone people. I don't know if you have Firestone. There were the tire people who changed the tires Unless C. So people, if somebody can't articulate what those C should be, unless C, if people can't articulate that, then they should be less justified in the confidence they have in their beliefs. Makes sense. That does make sense. Okay, because now it's going to get complicated fast. Right. But before we jump to that, is everybody cool? Am so I far. doing an? Am I an okay explainer so far? Oh, no, it's a perfect it's example. Awesome. You're talking to Canadians. You talk about beer. That's a perfect. Okay. Example. <laughs> good. Okay. Good. Perfect. Doesn't get perfect. any easier okay. than that. <laughs> okay. So now we we have defeasibility. Now the one of those papers I. I sent you, it weaved together a bunch of things. It weaved together defeasibility. It weaved together the Socratic method, which we'll talk about in a sec, mm-hmm. if you want. And it weaved together, let's see, defeasibility. Oh, the American Philosophical Association's Delphi Report. So the Socratic method is a way to ask questions. It's a way to, I use it as a way, it's it, as a, um, a pedagogical tool that is a tool that we use in the classroom to teach people to teach themselves or to ask better questions or to clarify their reasoning or their thinking process, etc. Mm-hmm. So at the first level, I think asking somebody the question, how could that belief be wrong, allows them to have spaces or moments in their belief lives where they can ask themselves these sorts of questions but the important thing to note there is that it's not just the skill 
that. It's not just the fact that Nancy can say, can give a reason. Mm -hmm. But the Socratic method, I think, and this is the kind of the big idea here, the Socratic method in asking those questions helps people to develop a disposition so that they become the type of people who then ask themselves the feasibility questions. So if you do this enough with Nancy, how could that belief be wrong? And then you go to another thing and she said something and you say, how can that belief be wrong? Then it's possible to help Nancy or anybody, if I'm just picking on Nancy, but anybody to be the types of people, in other words, to develop the attitudinal dispositions, to develop the dispositions to ask themselves, huh, how could my belief about this be wrong? How could my belief, it doesn't have to be beer or whatever, it could be big things, you know, the God question, it could be a- anything. So that's kind of stage one of the idea. So the person becomes self-criticized, or, she, or self-analyzed, self-analyzing of, of their reasoning to, that, to the conclusion that they believed in. Okay. I think. Yeah, so so you're not saying to her, so look, here's, again, I, I want to be crystal clear. I'm not saying that asking somebody, how do you know that is a bad question. In fact, no, I think it's not. a great question. The problem with that question, though, is if you say to somebody, well, how do you know that? And Nancy articulates her reasons, like, well, look, if the tires are a little low, that probably shows the, the you know, there's some kind of weight in the back. The, uh, you know, there's a driver, he doesn't look like he carjacked the thing, he doesn't look like it's coming from a heist, it's in the, like, she could give all these reasons, and maybe when she hears herself give the reasons, she increases her confidence in the belief that there's beer in the truck. Mm-hmm. But a better way for us all to live our lives is to decrease our confidence in the beliefs we have. Even the belief that we should decrease our confidence in the beliefs. Like, we, we should decrease how confident we are in the claims we make. And one way to do that, and, and, and I'll tell you why we should do that, but one way to do that is to develop the disposition in which we ask ourselves in which we facilitate in others, how could that belief be wrong? Mm. And the reason I think goes back to Plato's Theatetus, I think, and this is, I don't know what the answer to this would be. I don't know, because I'm just thinking through these things myself. So it seems to me that the idea of knowledge as justified true belief, and people have written about this for centuries, and this guy Gettier wrote some counterexamples to that, but, but the, the, problem with that is it seems it seems to be far more nuanced when you really look deeply at it when you look at the nitty-gritty the grittiness of why and how people actually believe okay how's that before we go on Okay, I'm with you. So, so, if, so if I get this, so, so if I'm straight, you're advocating that instead, when you're having an, uh, uh, an argument about something, instead of reinforcing your belief, you should try to knock it down yourself, and that should, um, if you, when you try to knock down your 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 own belief, essentially, that should really kind of clarify whether or not you're justified in believing that. Yeah, that that's a that that's yes, and the more confidence 
you hold in a belief, the more important it is to develop the habit of thought mm. in which you intentionally, explicitly, and clearly ask yourself, how could that belief be wrong? Okay. Right. And and I I think it's really it's really important to value that question. Okay. That because works. then you open your mind to other possibilities rather than just accepting something on its face. Yeah. Is, is that, is yeah, that be, where we're going? Yeah, because the sorry, go ahead. No, I was just asking is is that is that pretty much, you know, on, yeah, on I, point? I think I think because what we do as a habit is we ask ourselves, well, how do I know that? And it's just, we're just hardwired to seek out confirming evidence. Yes. We, we seek, it's confirmation bias. We seek out data points that confirm what we already believe. And then we construct stories around those things. Mm -hmm. And then we raise our confidence in our beliefs, you know, individual discrete beliefs we have based on a number of things, like how it's in philosophy called coherence, like how well those stories cohere with each other, what information we have. In this really simple switch, this, this almost effortless switch from habituating ourselves to ask people how they know that to habituating ourselves to asking people how that belief could be wrong and then not having a debate about it, but having a conversation about it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I think if we did this, we would be more we would be more likely to have less confidence in our belief. I don't know if that's as clear as I could have been. No, yeah. I think if we did this we would be less confident in the beliefs we hold. Well, I mean, and I think if I'm sorry, go ahead. No, no, I was just saying it makes perfect sense to me what you're saying there. I don't know about you guys, but no, no, that I, makes yeah, total sense no, to me. Yeah. yeah, so the question then becomes how do we engage people how do we make that happen besides just asking the question? Mm -hmm. And the paper I sent you, uh, I wed discrete elements of the, is this thing in the Socratic method. It's quite, kind of the quote-unquote middle stage of the Socratic method called the Olympus. It's a way to ask questions, very specific targeted questions. And I think one of the, thi I think one of the things that happens is the American Philosophical Associations, and everybody, your listeners can Google this, the Delphi Report gives these, um, the definition and then these, what they call constructs for the ideal critical thinker. And they break them down into categories. And those categories are skill sets and attitudes. And I think the Socratic method, which uses defeaters, if A, then B, unless C, Mm -hmm. It helps people think about what that in less C is, and it's a way of systematizing or asking sy systematic questions, not in a, hopefully not in a confrontational way. People could certainly abuse it and use it that way, but hopefully as um, path to dialogue, that if you do that with somebody, then you will naturally bring out some of those constructs in the American Philosophical Association's Delphi report specifically you can help people to be the type of people who think it's virtuous who think it's morally important to seek out defeaters mm -hmm. because the skill set alone is not sufficient 
And that's the one mistake I think the overwhelming majority of people who think about this field make, and I can tell you why if you're interested. Hmm. Oh, yeah. Go ahead. Cool. That, that, that does sound interesting. <laughs> don't don't, don't I, 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 Please okay, don't hold So back. I think the reason that this is not talked about in the literature almost at all is because most people like myself, academicians are supposed to publish in the areas in which they teach. So this is a big publishing area for me. And the problem is that you can't test a disposition, an attitudinal disposition in the classroom. Now, there's this thing called, that I wrote about in the paper, the California Critical Thinking Disposition Inventory. But that's not, like, we test skills. We give fallacies. The, people, the students, you know, they mark checks. They, you know, mix and match or, you know, multiple choice, ABC. But that doesn't test a disposition to think about how their beliefs could be wrong. So because we can't test it, we don't really teach it. We teach the skill set. But if you have the skill set and you don't have the disposition, I think your situation is even worse than if you didn't have the skill set at all. Because if you have the skill set and not the disposition, then you will think critically about you will think critically and use your reasoning to justify bad ideas. Mm, yeah, okay. But Right, but if you have the disposition, and I would argue that the core of the whole disposition is to seek out defeaters. Okay, but okay. but but the interesting thing I think, and again, I could be totally wrong about this. I don't know. The interesting thing I think is going back to the beer example. If somebody says to you, "Well, because aliens from Europa are in there," I think that that means even if it's bizarre and fantastical and shows that that somehow they're untethered to reality i think that that belief that they hold they are more justified in holding that belief because they can give you something as opposed to saying i don't know or i can't be wrong mm. and again i could totally be wrong about this whole thing this is just my my current thinking well, well, it's an interesting line of thought. Yeah, but I do have a question, though. I yeah, mean, yeah. a lot of these defeaters rely on, essentially, uh, of observable input, right? Uh, I mean, Nancy says, you know, uh, it's a beer truck because I can see the word beer. And the driver looks like he's, he's drinking a beer or something like that. But what, yeah, if, yeah. what if Nancy came up with, because I feel it? Um. Okay. Kind of the same so, way a religious person would say, I feel it in my heart. Yeah, okay. So uh, so, he, so there are questions, and, and I wrote about this in my book, and I've published a couple of articles about this. There are questions that you can ask about whether or not feelings are an accurate guide to reality. Mm -hmm. For example, you can say, do your feelings ever change from day to day? Have your feelings ever been wrong about something? Have you ever felt something really intensely about a person, they're a good person or a bad person, and then change your mind? Or have you ever, have your feelings ever deceived you? Have you ever been wrong about that? Mm -hmm. And so that's kind of an unless see. Like, it's kind of eliciting that. Is yes, no, clear? No, no, that yeah. makes perfect sense. That yeah, works. makes sense. Okay, so so it's really important that you, that you know if you guys think this stuff is unclear, you you tell me because it's pretty complicated. I I'm trying to 
I hope I'm doing an okay job. Oh, you're doing you're doing a great job so far. Like I said, my my okay. little dumb brain can follow, so that's good. Okay, so so the question then becomes there are many questions. You know, we, we can go if this this is kind of one of those points in the conversation where we can go to many spaces. I think we need to shift educational priorities at least to a teeny part, few percentage points out of the total lecture plan in the classrooms to ask people how could these ideas be wrong in the hard sciences, math, physics, et cetera, engineering, mm -hmm. philosophy, in the soft sciences, humanities, gender studies, whatever it is. How could these ideas be wrong? And we need to encourage our students to ask that question, right, to, to be more critical and to, you've heard the, the question authority thing. Mm -hmm. We need to question these. And, you know, the, the big thing now that everyone's talking about is sugar. There seems to be overwhelming evidence at this point that sugar, even in what we used to consider to be, quote unquote, I'm going to use the word dose, <laughs> moderate doses, is now far more harmful than we thought even 15 years ago. Mm -hmm. And that's been brought into this. So all of these things that we take for granted, well, how do you know this, right? Well, the evidence and people go, well, how could that belief be wrong? It's an easy way to shift. And if you're, if you're an educator and you're listening to this, you can do this with kids. You can do this at any, any age. You can ask atheists. It doesn't matter what the belief is. You can ask people how they could be wrong. And you can pursue that with them while pursuing your own uh, beliefs and how those beliefs could be wrong. So it's a shift from attacking the evidence that somebody has and they hunker down in defend, defensive postures to mutually exploring ideas of how, with people, in conjunction, in a collaborative relationship with people, for how their ideas and your ideas could be wrong. So if you, if you go down that path of, of defeaters and you, you come up with, let's say, four or five um, defeaters that are that are based in reality, then does that set someone down the path of exploring those defeaters to see if they're plausible, or does it shift that person's thinking into, I, I had a feeling or I had a thought that I was right, but now I'm beginning to see an expanded reality where I need to question my beliefs more closely before I cast them in concrete in my mind. Th that's a great question, and there are two answers. The first one is simple, and the second one takes the conversation down a much more difficult path. <laughs> oh. Let's keep the my, simple one. Let's go. <laughs> Depends my on how much understanding. I would say let's do the simple one first. Okay, let's do the simple one first. So at the most rudimentary level, we need to start creating mini culture spaces with friends, people with whom we engage regularly, when we habituate ourselves to just ask that question and we make it normal in the culture. Okay. But the second question is more difficult and that's what the paper addresses. So if the total, this is, I'm not good at math. So, uh, just bear, bear with me. That's why the uh, James Lindsay, I wrote this with him. He has a PhD in math. So he did the math stuff. So, in any, it's called, so this is called doxastic. Everything to feasibility, it's called doxastic, comes to, from the Greek, which means belief. So you can talk about a doc, we, in the paper we use the term doxastic space. But you can you also say a belief space. So 
any belief that somebody holds takes place on a belief landscape. So all of their landscapes of belief. So let's say that I believe, well, let's go back to our beer truck example, if that's okay. Mm-hmm. So I say to Nancy, well, how do you know it's beer? And maybe even, you know, Kevin's point, well, how confident are you it's beer? She says 90%. Okay. So what is taking up that 10%? Well, we assign, I think we assign implicit confidence values, not like discrete numbers. But, you know, if Nancy said to you, well, they're aliens from Europa, you would assign that an unbelievably small confidence value. Mm-hmm. But you wouldn't rule it out entirely. Right? Yeah. Now, every time she changes the planet, it could be aliens from Venus. They could be aliens from... So all of those in tandem together decrease the the likelihood that like if you assign it a 0.01 confidence value every time you change the name of the planet that decreases that that 0.01 is spread throughout all the planets right given that you have no evidence for that at all Mm -hmm. so that 10 percent has to be taken up by something in the in the paper we give the example of experimental error in the large hydron collider so every time someone says we also use the example of a famous example in epistemology, which is how you know what we know of a goldfinch in the garden, right? You think there's a goldfinch in the garden mm-hmm. and you look out and you're like, yeah, it's a goldfinch in the garden. Well, your confidence in that, I, I would have zero confidence in that, right? So maybe, maybe you think all, you know, yellow birds are goldfinches. And that's actually the, the title of the paper. It's something like, um, the feasibility, uh, defeaters and yellow birds or something like that. Um, so then someone says to you, well, how could that belief be wrong? And you're like, well, I don't know. It could, there could be another yellow bird I don't know about. And they say, yeah, it could be the golden Oreo. And you're like, wow, the golden Oreo. But then someone else says, yeah, it could be the golden Oreo. But the golden Oreos, don't, they're all dead around here. They got killed by pollution. I don't know. They live in Montana or someplace or whatever, some province in Canada. They don't live around here. They're the bird that's found in the States. Or you know, they migrate at this time of the year. So all of those things are the unless C. Mm-hmm. Yes. Okay. So, so we have a confidence value that we assign to beliefs, and it's not like a number where we say to ourselves, oh, "Okay, well, I'm eighty percent sure." Now, we could do that if someone asked you, the, like Kevin's question, like, "How confident are you in that?" So we do, we, we we could do that. But I think in in general, as people go through their lives, you know, they walk in the bank or. And, and, and they think they're going to be able to cash a check and there's not going to be – everybody isn't going to be playing a Moroccan – you know, they're not going to be tap dancing on the counters, right? There's some regularity which we go through our, our lives. So every time somebody – you can think of a belief of how – every time you can think of a way for how your belief could be wrong, it, de- it diminishes or it takes away from the 100% confidence that you could have in the belief. Yes, because if you're if you're thinking, well, maybe it's a canary, and canaries are yellow. Well, even if you assign the value the one percent that it could, or even point oh 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 one percent, then that point oh 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 one percent has to be subtracted from a hundred. Yes. So by definition, you have to be less confident in the belief. Mm-hmm. And the same thing is true with beer trucks or God or. Anything, you know, how confident are you that your coffee machine is going to be working in the morning? No, nobody's going to say a hundred, right? Because, well, what could be happening? Well, I don't know. It could burn out. The 
my dog could have, uh, my dog's a lunatic. My dog could have, uh, you know, I could have put the meat next to it and he could have tried to get to the meat and knock the coffee pot and break it. So, you know, what it broke and whatever. But all of those possibilities for how you could, your belief could be wrong decrease the confidence in the fact that you think your coffee maker could work tomorrow. Now, here's what's interesting about that is people will not perceive that as emotionally threatening. Mm. Most people, almost, because you're not telling them anything. You're asking them to generate ways that their beliefs could be wrong. And then you're asking them to assign values to that if that's what you want to do. Well, how, how, how confident are you in X? Okay, well, how, well, how do you know the golden Oriole doesn't live here? And so I said, well, why, you know, the example I use, well, the golden Orioles only live in Nebraska. Well, how do you know the golden? Well, I don't know. I guess I heard it from somebody. But let's say that there's a member of the Avery Club over there, the Bird Club, you know, an expert bird watcher. Right. So, so we we have all of these beliefs as we go through our lives, and the habit that we have is we're trying to. We're not trying to falsify those beliefs. We're trying to make them true. And that's the difference between falsifiability and defeasibility because defeasibility also works with moral knowledge. So falsifiability is Karl Popper's idea. Well, you know, if, if you're doing an experiment and you're, I don't know, um, mixing this chemical and this chemical and you have a hypothesis and you think it's going to make some other chemical. I'm not a chemist, so I don't know anything about chemistry. But you think it's going to make some other chemical, and it doesn't. Well, then you falsified your hypothesis. Mm-hmm. But the feasibility is really good to ask people. Well, you know, I don't think two dudes should get married. Well, so normally you say, well, why do you believe that? And they say, well, you know, Jesus or you know, Quran or whatever they say. But instead, say, well, how could that belief be wrong? Mm. Now, if, if they say to you, that belief can't be wrong, well, then then it can't be knowledge because knowledge by definition means that your beliefs could be wrong. That's what makes it knowledge and not revelation, there right? Fact. I mean, I mean, exactly. you know, some immutable feature of reality. There we go. Now it's uh, perfect. That makes all the sense in the world. It do, does it really? It, Honestly, it actually abs- does. It yeah. absolutely does. Now okay. I, I'm gonna I'm gonna ask a question that's completely left field in the in the same area but left field. Yeah. Let's say for example that we do get this in emotion and we do develop this in a culture that people start asking themselves how could this belief be wrong? Do yeah. you feel there might be some pushback, maybe especially from psychology, saying you're eroding self confidence by uh, because pe- self confidence is an issue in today's world if you're asking these type of questions instead of reinforcing the way we usually do, do you feel yeah. that maybe people that, would have that, an issue that's with that? That's an awesome, that's an awesome question. That's a really great question. I think, and I know people who actually believe that, and I think that is a complete misconstrual, not even a misconstrual, I just think it's wrong. Okay. And Aristotle talks about, or writes about, excuse me, when you, you get self-confidence and self-esteem by your accomplishments. So you, you can't just go out and, well, you could. I mean, like, I'm going to hopefully go to sushi tonight. But you, you know, that's certainly going to make me feel very good, especially after I down, like, 10 sakis. But no, that, but you don't, but the, the, the feeling that you get from accomplishment, from hard work, that is, if you feel that you have earned something, John Kavanaugh, Conor McGregor's 
coaches, a, a friend of mine, and he put a tweet once that said, I can't remember the exact wording, it was about pistachio sales. He said, you know, if, if you take the pistachios out of the shell, they taste much better than if you just buy, buy a bunch of pistachios in a bag. And when you figure that out, why that is, you figured out the whole game. So I'm not buying the idea that we can just tell people, oh, feel good about yourself, self-esteem. I think that self-esteem comes as a byproduct of something else. And I think if people clean up their belief lives and they develop the disposition to become the sorts of people who seek out disconfirming instances or they, they think about, they become more reflective about why they believe what they believe. I think if we do this, then a type of genuine self-esteem, genuine belief esteem will come as a result because they'll be the type of people who ultimately will possess a genuine humility mm. and they, they, won't, they won't possess an arrogance, a moral arrogance, a factual arrogance. They won't be cocksure. They won't be walking through life thinking they know things when, when they don't know things and, and the consequence of that is that they won't be involved in some pretty ugly domestic and foreign policies. Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna put a follow up question on that. Uh, yeah. Staying in the same in the same branch here, if 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 people were to be habituated like that to be self criticizing uh, uh, on 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 their belief, could that be kind of taken advantage of, especially when information comes from authority? You know, it's like, did you really cri- did you really criticize with your thought and your question before asking that question of the president? You know what I mean? I think I know what you mean. I mean, if anything, you would think that with our particular president, that that would be something you'd want to cultivate. Yeah, well, I mean, in the United States, you guys are very quick to criticize right away what the authorities yeah. will say. Uh, if, but if instead you're taught to self-criticize first, well, that means there'll be less inquiry into what authorities Oh, I see. Yeah, I didn't understand. I'm sorry. That's what I see. Um, I don't know. I think you would... It, uh, I, I, I don't know. Uh, I think it's a complicated question because there are so many variables with social media and with the, um, Lindsay calls it a Google swamp. You know, when you, you uh, search Google for something and the top 10 or 20 results say something. Okay. And then you come to say, well, this is it's all must be true. It's in the top 20 searches in Google. So I, I don't. <laughs> I don't know at a systemic level. I think it's at an individual level, it ha- can be, I hate to use a big word, but kind of salubrious to your beliefs. But I think in aggregate, if everybody did that, then my hope would be, and I have absolutely no evidence for this whatsoever, but my hope would be that we would vote in candidates in a democracy or if you want to call it a republic who would also share that value. But I could be, to- I mean, I could be totally wrong about that. For, for a half a second there, I thought I almost stomped you. Yes. <laughs> for half a second, I said, oh my God, this is like the crumbling no, I mean, of my I, life. Look, I'm no. just, I really am. I'm just working through these ideas. I've just thought about this stuff a lot, like way too much. This is what I did in my sabbatical. I just basically read and thought about this stuff for a year. And then I wrote, wrote those two papers. And you know, to take conversation to another level, I think... So my friend uh, Preet is a black belt in jiu-jitsu mm-hmm. with straight blast gym, and they call him the jiu-jitsu Vulcan. He's just a gifted teacher. And it, in jiu-jitsu, 
You guys familiar with jujitsu? Absolutely. Yes. Okay. So in jujitsu, people who own studios, they focus on different things. You know, they focus on training champions. They focus on, you know, getting everybody's, you know, to boot, whatever they focus on. So, but this guy has a fascinating thing that he focuses on. He focuses on what to teach people the first day. Mm. And he told me, that he thinks that there is a uni- kind of like a you know in physics they're looking for unified field theory. Mm-hmm. He told me that there's he thinks that there is a unified field theory of jujitsu that you can teach people on the first day that deals with some basic postures, ways that they can position their body. And I thought about that, and then I asked, him, I thought, and I just wondered, I was, I wonder if there's a kind of unified field theory of rationality. Like, I wonder if there are some core principles that comprise an ideally rational agent. And I wonder if there's a way to engender those principles, the value and the disposition for people to have those principles. I think, I have no idea if there is, you know, or if I'm just, this is a chaotic advent, you know, misadventure and I'm just chasing a rainbow or a windmill. But I think that defeasibility would be front and center in that. And I think that using the Socratic method to help elicit core constructs in the American Philosophical Association's Delphi report to help people want to become the type of people who seek out defeaters. I think if there were such a thing as constitutive elements of rationality and ideal inquires, as the philosopher Peirce talks about, if there were such a thing, or he also talks about this a community of ideal inquirers. I think if there were such a thing, then defeasibility would be at its core. Mm-hmm. Okay. Oh, well, that makes all the sense in the world to me. I don't know about you guys. Well, I'm going to go off on a tangent. <clears throat> it's so Kevin and I are still following the beer truck. And, <laughs> and, okay, good. And, uh, and so we've brought up the defeaters, and say we okay. brought up three or four defeaters, it, do we at that, how do we get to whether the defeaters might be true or partially true? You and, ask if and there's a tipping point? See if there's a tipping point to those. On the one hand, how do we discern the, um, the uh, um, possibilities factor of the, of the defeaters, and at what point do we say, we've explored the possibility of the defeaters, and it seems as though my original belief is correct, and that is a beer truck filled with beer. Okay, so a couple things. The first is that you would then be more justified in the confidence of the belief that the truck is filled with beer if you've explored defeaters. Mm. And the more exhaustively you've explored them, the higher your confidence should be. And the more justified you are in the fact that the beer truck is filled with beer and not coming back from the tire factory. Okay, so there's, there's, there would still be the possibility that our confidence level would be based on 
a false premise that we've yes. we've we've gone through all of those, but we've assigned them a a negative yes. value when it's possible they could have had a positive value. So Absolutely. we're right back with the concrete instead of fluid brain yeah. tissue. Awesome, awesome question. Wow, this is great, awesome. Okay, so. It is absolutely possible that you could look at a situation. In fact, not only is it possible, we do it all the time. We look at situations and we assign confidence values to our beliefs. But it's absolutely 100% correct. It is absolutely possible that we have misassigned confidence values to that belief because we just don't have the relevant information, right? We, we were mistaken or we're harboring a belief that wasn't true, et cetera, et cetera. So for any one occasion what you have said is correct. However, in the course of your entire belief life, becoming the sort of person who does this is more likely to both decrease the confidence you have in beliefs, and if you do have confidence in your beliefs, to make them, to, to make it so that you're more justified in holding that belief. But in any one event, you are 100% correct. But if it becomes a process for you so that you go through that evaluation, you then become more confident in the beliefs that you assign that truth to and you become better at discerning what beliefs to let go of because they, they're more defeaters than, than belief factors. Yeah, now... No, I think, that's I, think great. I said no, something rational, but I have no idea. No, no, it's good, it's good, it's good. So here's <laughs> a potential problem with the idea. Here's a potential problem. So l let's say that uh, instead of Nancy, let's let's use somebody else who's, you know, let's use... Um, we can use Scott. Yeah, Scott. We'll use Scott. We'll yeah. use Scott. Oh, I feel And amused. when you said, hey, Scott, what's up? How could you be wrong with that? And he said, well, aliens. So let's say that Scott has been exposed to this idea that coming up with defeaters means you're more confident. And every time you ask him a question, Scott just simply talks about aliens. You know, how could your coffee maker be mistaken? Well, the aliens could have come down and swapped it out with another coffee maker. Or how could, you know, you're going to get sushi. I read that there is something that with um, yellowtail, I think it's yellowtail. It's not actual yellowtail. It's another fish or something. I don't know. How could you believe, well, aliens could have substituted the yellowtail. <laughs> so in those situations, you could actually be making the situation worse because, because they would then become overly confident in the beliefs they hold because they would think that they could come up with defeaters. But my response to my own objection <laughs> would be that that, that that person probably suffers from a in this case, Scott, no, no offense, pr oh, probably suffers from a, some kind of a psychological problem. I, I probably do. <laughs> yeah. And and whether or not this person makes those assessments based upon aliens and increases their confidence, it's unclear at that point what th – there are other psychological factors at play. Hmm. When we're doing this – when you're asking me to come up with a defeater, you're yeah. assuming you're assuming that I'm being honest and, and honestly exercising that thought process. Yeah, but that yes. And one of the beauties of this is, let's say that you're dishonest with me. Maybe 
mean, again, I'm just throwing this out as an idea. If somebody else came up to you an hour later and you have a conversation with them and they ask you the same question, maybe that helps, or maybe even not the second person, maybe that just helps you to be more reflective in the future about beliefs you hold and the confidence in those beliefs. Right. You know, like maybe even the act of asking the question, even if you're dishonest, because if you're dishonest, you still need to do some intellectual work to come up with the idea. Yeah. You need to carry out the exercise. That's right. Yeah. So, so it is, I think there's something intrinsically valuable in not only for ourselves coming up with defeaters, if A, then B, unless C, but asking the sorts of questions that help people become the sorts of people who then ask themselves how their beliefs could be wrong. Mm. Right. And yeah. And, and, and that's what I'm I get, worked on. I'm getting this now. Year. This is, yeah. this is really cool. So, so, so if I was to basically summarize this, yeah. you're, you're stating essentially that if we become a bit more self-criticizing and we start asking ourselves the question of how could we, we be wrong on this, we'll be most likely our confidence level in our beliefs will drop, which will make us more prone to actually prove, like for, for following the beer truck, for example, the only true way, Nancy believed it's a beer truck, but the only way would be for us to stop the truck and open the doors. So depending on... Uh, yeah, yeah, unless you're talking to the guy, unless you're talking to Scott who tells you it's a holographic projection, right? Well, how could your... Then he could Where say, you know, Scott. How, could, how could your belief be wrong? He said, well, aliens have great technology. This isn't really beer. These are ray guns. Like, I mean, but there has to be a point in this where you say, okay, well, wait a second. You know, like, well, look. But, yeah, I, I was up with you until you said the idea of proof, right? So I think that's too stringent. That's too strong of, of a criteria but the, the key to this is not just defeasibility and seeking out defeaters. It's also wedding those other two elements, which I have not seen anybody in the literature do. It's wedding how to do that with the Socratic method, which already has this built-in process. It's wedding, and again, the paper's online, but it's, it's wedding these specific attitudinal dispositions and it looks at a bunch of philosophical literature. It looks at a pretty extensive pedigree of philosophical literature and relates it to that. And so, the the and, and again, if I'm wrong about this, I think I'm spectacularly wrong. <laughs> Instead of saying, how do you know that? Our new go-to question would be, how could I be wrong about that? Mm. Like, that would be our go-to. That would be the first thing we think once, oh, wow. And then immediately, well, how do I know that? Well, this evidence, this evidence, this evidence... And I wrote, I published a thing in The Skeptic about this. I think it was something like, what I learned from teaching 20 years of critical thinking and moral reasoning in one page. And the thing I learned was that people become more confident of what they believe when, in, in our critical thinking class, we teach people believe in the base of evidence, believe in the base of evidence, but that just digs them into their confidence and their beliefs. It doesn't facilitate the gift of doubt. And you give that gift of doubt by helping people to think it's a virtue if they ask themselves the feasibility questions and they become the sorts of people who live their lives in that frame of mind. I mean, when you think about it, that's the exact opposite of, of the way most people live their lives. Hmm. It certainly is great food for thought. That's for sure. Cool. We're very complicated, aren't we? (laughs) (laughs) No, this has been good. This is, this is, I have appreciated. Um, I've, uh, I've appreciated the conversation, um, and I uh, appreciate your 
well, I have friendship, but I appreciate you being honest with me because I, I wanted, I really want to try to, you know, live up to that grant I got. And I want to try to make these ideas accessible. And I, I also want to stress, I, I'm not, just as an artificial humility is true. I mean, I really could be wrong about any of this stuff. Of course. I've been, I've been thinking about it for a long time. That's what's and, so awesome. That's what's so awesome yeah, about what you're doing. It, it's, yeah, well, I, where, I was, where I was having a little difficulty is that my mind wanted to go to falsifiability rather than defeasibility and, mm. and th that goes to proof which is not a belief and once I'm trying to get my mind around uh, defeasibility and, and not to you know to falsifiability then then I think I'm okay for the yeah. least the next 15 minutes when I confuse myself again <laughs> but it takes yeah. it takes a while to you know to internalize and then to be able to articulate what it is that you think you've internalized it's not an easy process no no, no it's it's not and it's made more difficult when we don't have a culture that values it or even if we have a culture that demeans it and so people get in these little micro bubbles in which they associate with other people who either have similar ideologies or identical ideologies or they don't really value those honest conversations. It's, it's intensely that, tribal. And that is so the they trap. don't really value those honest conversations about belief. And then they look at people who don't share their beliefs as their moral enemies. And... It, and you are where you are, polarized as, you know, they're in the States at this particular point in time. Yeah, and that's actually, just parenthetically, that's what my book is about, is how to have those impossible conversations face-to-face, -face, not online, not in Facebook, but, like, literally standing and looking at someone and, and having a, um, a conversation, like, how do you, what does the literature say, you know, what is the best evidence we have for how to do this, and... There's a section in there about defeasibility and uh, self-honesty. And, and, and I also do think, I think it's Scott's great question about what if someone is uh, lying? I think, it's, or, I think it's fine, too. If they're being intellectually dishonest with their... You've asked them the question. If they have a bias, depending on the and question. They're just being intellectually dishonest with their answer. I mean, it's, it's you know... Yeah, you can totally yeah. see it, especially if we're, if we're dealing with religion. But again, like you, you said, that that intellectual dishonesty did take a thought process to, to That's right. come up with the ideas. So in a way they are actually going along yeah. with it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's, it's a, wow. What a concept. I'm <laughs> well, yeah. It's a cool, it's a cool concept. Like, I mean, let's see. So my paper is, uh, currently under review. Mm -hmm. uh, I think the one we talked about was educational philosophy and theory and the one about the yellow birds. And then it's, that's a much more technical paper. And so hopefully we'll, I'll publish that and I'll send us the link so we can post it on the notes of the, the show. Huh? Send us the link so we can post it on the notes of the show. Oh, okay, cool, cool. Yeah, all right. I, I will, uh, I'll send you that. I'll, I'll send you the, um, the paper right after this. And uh, again, I want to thank you guys for, talking to me and for reaching out and sending that email oh. and Peter we can never say no to you man no <laughs> we can never say no to Pete sure you could <laughs> how could that be wrong well I can tell you you can probably tell yourself a lot of ways that could be wrong um, no thank you thank you for for opening for trying to open up our minds yeah, to the point absolutely. that we are able to find other ways to be to 
to, to, to make sure that our knowledge is based in, in truth and to be able to, to converse with other people in a less confrontational way, which was, you know, in the, in the manual as well. And, mm -hmm. you know, pursuing knowledge and then being able to communicate with others in a non-confrontational way goes goes a long long way into improving the human lot i think doesn't it yeah and i th i think that is especially true right now in the united states it it has so polarized and so nasty mm -hmm. and so vicious and so ugly and it's so intensely tribal and and social media has made it worse with everybody it's crazy you know it's just it's it's pretty ugly and hopefully so again, as I said before in the beginning, like my mind, I've now done the defeasibility, it's off the table, and I'm only working on my book now, and I'm actually running out of time, because my sabbatical ends pretty soon, but hopefully we can understand why it's important to not perpetrate acts of violence, like punching people who hold different beliefs. We can understand that there is something, that, that the people with whom we're speaking are actual people with lives and you know what's that sting song i don't mean to be overly dramatic but you know they love their children the russians love their children or whatever oh, you know, like, th these song. are yeah. these are real people with real lives and all of this talk about violence is so disturbing to me and all of the intense partisanship we, we are not solving our problems this way. We are making things worse. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Indeed. Peter, thank you so much for joining us on the show today. If people want to reach out to you, where can they find you? Uh, Twitter, at PeterBogosian.com, P-E-T-E-R-B-O-G-H-O-S-S-I-N. Dot com. Uh, just at Peter Bogosian. So. Perfect. Perfect. Excellent. Right, I will send you that link, and I appreciate it. Peter, before I let you go, I gotta let you. I gotta get you to say hi. I'm Peter Bogosian, and I took a left to the valley. Hi, I'm Peter Bogosian, and I took the. <laughs> let me try that again. Hi, I'm Peter Bogosian, and I took a left at the valley. And that was Peter Bogosian. What can I say about Peter? Anything good. He's one of the He's most ethical. He. The intellectual honesty and his adherence to ethical principles is just fantastic. He ju and he makes you think. Your brain can hurt, but it's always better afterwards. One of the best. One of the best pictures I have is me and him. You know, like a like a not a handshake, but like a bro yeah. handshake kind of thing. And he's such a great guy. I he mean, is. every time I see him, I, I'm, I almost want to do a, a field trip this, this summer just to go to Portland, for, just to have a beer with him and come back. It's a five-hour trip. I might just actually do that it this It would summer. be worth it. I think so. It I think we should all go. It. Yeah, we should have a great time. <laughs> you, should, you should take the beer to him. <laughs> yeah. We can't cross the border can't with cross beer. it, right. Huh? You can't bring alcohol across the border unless no. you go to the duty-free, but that's all. Well, you go to the duty-free. Yeah, okay. I think he, what, I, did he enjoy, was it the Labatt? I can't remember, because we talked about beer yeah. in the interview, but. No, I, I that, wasn't, that wasn't him. That was the, with the Eli Bosnick and uh, Tom and Cecil. No, no, when he was here with us. Oh, I, when he was I here. I think he did have a chance to drink, but, but I don't think we could get yeah. him addicted enough to get him <laughs> to move up here. Yeah, they, don't, they don't have real beer in the States. But yeah. anyway. No, no, when he was up here in Vancouver. Yeah, when, he, oh, he, I, he had beer. I can't remember, that was a couple of years ago, but. Yeah. Anyway, last time I saw him was, of course, an imaginal religion. We had a blast. Him and I and Arn Raw, that was fun. And I hope to see him again soon because, you know, he's just great. Oh, he's he's great. Yeah, I wish, exactly. wish him the best, whatever endeavor. I wish him the best. Exactly. Yeah. 
Awesome. Thank you so much for being with us, guys. You can always find us at leftatvalley.com. You can find us on Facebook, on Twitter, at LATV Podcast. Send us an email at leftatvalleyatoutlook.com. If you'd be so kind, give us a five-star review on iTunes. That really helps others find the show. Coming up, we'll finally have, eventually, <laughs> Dan Barker. We're finally, eventually? Eventually, we'll have Dan Barker. I will not let him go. And we also have... Dr. Richard Carrier that's coming up. That'll be interesting. It, it will. Another gentleman that we had the privilege of having up here in Abbotsford several years ago. He might actually come and crush on my couch, too. He's doing a tour across the country. So. I offered him the couch. It's a small couch. But anyway, he's always <laughs> I, I got a bigger couch if you want. That's... Yeah. I might actually give him the bed and I'll sleep on the couch. <laughs> Dr. Carrier, I'm not going to argue with him. And uh, we'll have our, our friend Del Ray. I was coming back to talk about the recovery from religion. Always good. That'll be fun. And also, we'll also have a show called As Feminism Gone Too Far. Uh-huh. Bound to be controversial. Mm-hmm. So, maybe our old friend Tyler. Remember Tyler? He might actually come back and do that show with to, us. So. And, and argue the point? Argue the point, maybe. Looking Guys, forward to that. Sounds good. Awesome. Have a great summer? Well, have a great summer. <laughs> have a great week, I should say. <laughs> A week, summer, both. it's all the same. Yeah, both. All right, guys. Until next time. Skeptical of anything that contradicts history, denies evolution, hates science, promotes mystery. I'd rather see the truth than to bask in my own ignorance. Rather be alone than surrounded by damn idiots. As long as there's a breath in my body, you can bet your last dollar I'll be working hard fighting this problem. Religion is a disease. It comes from culture. Only true on a regional scale. Science is universal. For you to say that Horus isn't real, but Jesus is, or Zeus, Thor, Mithra, Vishnu, you don't believe in them. I think the reason is apparent. You do what you're told and believe in the God assigned by your parents. I'm proud to be an atheist, a skeptic, a non believer, an infidel, a heathen. I call it how I see it. I say it's ignorance, and you just call it faith and unsubstantiated claim. That's something to be ashamed. I'm an atheist.